0: This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock?
1: Tech story is front and centre. What
0: will this wind up doing to the cost curve?
2: Your connection from the
3: London market close to the US
0: market action.
1: A significant sell-off in European assets. It
3: feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This
1: is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele.
3: Behavioural challenges from the pandemic could linger for years.
1: On Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, welcome. You are listening to The Cave. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. It is finally Friday, Friday, December the 9th. Uh, We have much to talk about this evening. Good evening, everybody. I'm Guy Johnson in London. Alongside this evening, Bloomberg Opinions, Marcus Ashworth. Um, Marcus, before we get to our chat, before we get to figuring out what is happening in the world, let me just update everybody uh, on what is happening in the markets. The FTSE 100 cl- today closing flat uh, at 74.76. We're down by around a percent uh, on the week. Um, we have seen a pretty similar story, actually, for most of the main European markets stateside the s and is up by around three tenths of one percent. We saw a slightly stronger than anticipated PPI print, producer price inflation, a little bit earlier on, uh, which many are kind of kind of viewing as the warm-up act for the big CPI print, consumer price inflation, which we're going to get out next week. Next week is absolutely huge. You've got the Bank of England, you've got the Fed, you've got the uh, ECB, you've got inflation data from all over the place. You've got some other central banks in the form of the Norge Bank as well. Uh, so there's lots going on next week. Plus, of course, uh, you have Sab Bank and Freed potentially testifying in Washington, D.C. So next week could be the kind of the last big week of the year for us to watch out for. Marcus, good evening. What are we taking away from this week, though? Uh, um,
4: well, we are lockstep and good evening, Guy. We are lockstep in with what the dollar is doing at the moment and what the US Treasury market is doing is, in essence, uh, Europe, UK are are not doing anything on their own, if that makes any sense. There really isn't that much divergence. Um, other than the fact I see oil going down um, and obviously we've got uh, you know a bit of noise we'll talk about later about some modest, very modest reforms in the UK. But really, it's we're expecting 50-50-50 next week from the Fed and then the ba- Bank of England and the ECB. And that's got everyone uh, in lockstep. Bonds are continuing doing extremely well. Oil is continuing to do extremely badly. And stock markets yep. are sort of meh.
1: Yeah. Uh, Derek Halmany made a good point to me a little bit earlier on. He said that if the CPI print out of the States is hot, then the, the market will, and then we get a hawkish Fed, that those two things will kind of augment each other. But if the CPI print is soft, then the market will ignore the Fed if it's hawkish. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on. As Marcus mentioned as well, we've had a bit of a whimper in terms of regulatory reform uh, and the City of London today from the government. We'll talk about that in just a moment before we do that though let's get some headlines with Charlie
5: I thank you very much Guy Johnson here's what's going on Chancellor of the Exchequer Jeremy hunt says he wants to maintain a friendly relationship with the European Union weeks after he was reported to have said the UK should seek a closer trading tie to the block speaking at an FT event he said the events of the last year have demonstrated that we are interdependent and it's going to be a friendly relationship with our neighbors a newspaper report of his private Private views about UK-EU ties sparked concern among some conservative lawmakers that the government would try to soften the Brexit deal it agreed to three years ago. Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan are likely to be among the beneficiaries of the government's financial services reforms through a proposed relaxation of ring-fencing capital rules that will boost their U.K. savings arms. Amber Group, one of Asia's top leading crypto trading and lending platforms, is cutting jobs, scrapping retail operations, and terminating a sponsorship deal with Chelsea in the latest retrenchment to hit the digital asset sector. And Russian President Vladimir Putin says Russia may cut its oil production in response to the G7 cap on the price of its crude. He told Russian reporters today a decision on Moscow's response will be announced in a presidential decree within the next several days. That is the latest from the news desk. Guy Johnson, back to you now in London.
1: Charlie, thank you very much indeed. Charlie will be back in around 30 minutes' time to keep us updated on what's happening uh, and bring us all of the headlines. Um, Charlie mentioned it. Marcus mentioned it. Uh, this, this reform package that we've seen announced today, by the government. They're calling them the Edinburgh reforms. Uh, a few days ago, they were going to be called Big Bang 2.0. But as it turns out, um, they're not really a big bang. They're not really a small bang. They're more of a whimper, actually, uh, in terms of uh, what we've ultimately got. Um, we were expecting more. We were certainly expecting a Brexit dividend for the City of London, uh, as it hoped to, might have might, uh, to mount a fight back against continental centres and, of course, New York. Now, my good friend and colleague, Lizzie Burden, caught up with the Economic Secretary to the Treasury and City Minister Andrew Griffith a little bit earlier on to get his perspective on how important these reforms really are. I've been extremely busy working with the Chancellor to bring forward what are 30, so it's a package of 30 reforms, the Edinburgh reforms. They cover every part of financial services from building societies, consumer credit to our wholesale markets, how we get more listings back in London uh, and how we make sure that we get the right balance of investment in the UK with things like Solvency 2 still within a very prudential, safe regulatory structure. Andrew Griffith talking to, to uh, Lizzie Burden a little bit earlier on. Um, Marcus, until a few days ago, this was dubbed Big Bang 2.0. It was never really going to be a Thatcherite kind of wholesale reform of financial services. What have we actually though ended up with?
4: Well, I think, to be fair, I think Hunt realised uh, pretty early doors he, he needs to drop the, the big bang aspect of it. But nonetheless, um, you know, whatever we may have expected, uh, the whole, they're also not really joined together in the sense there's not really much of a, you know, you could have done any of these things or a lot of these things any time in the last six years. I mean, uh, producing settlement dates from two days to one day, great um making a, pr- a proper tape so a record of of, of uh, bond transactions again makes very sense but a lot of these things are already happening in Europe so um in, in some senses this certainly isn't the Singapore and Thames uh style or, or, and it's not widely diverting or diverging even from uh the European Union because a lot of the unbundling stuff of MiFID two um is, again, is, it never really happened in Europe, uh, we went through the pain here in the city and, and some of the stuff which we should have done, never have done, but certainly unwound much earlier, that, that, that this is in, I mean, join together local government pension schemes in, in a bigger bundle, I mean, be still my beaten heart, uh, it's, it's all, again, the senior managers re- reform, which is you know, putting people on the spot if they're responsible or overlooking uh, naughty stuff that goes on, that that's just a consultation i doubt that will change very much at all that's the only stuff that might have got people a little bit upset about uh, watering down all that sort of thing so in some sense i don't think labor's got a response to this but this isn't going to impress the city it's not really impressing the, the regulator bar this uh slightly strange thing of making the regulators focus on growth which they'll clearly ignore and um you know in some senses it's just sort of i don't know what it is it's a Leaf of something or other. Um, I don't really know what to get that excited about, other than that, it mostly makes sense. It's pretty good. It could have happened any time. And, um, you know, look. So, uh, what, okay, yeah, so. Wow.
1: Th- we were meant to have this kind of big opportunity, as you say. This was meant to be a big opportunity. We were meant to be, as you say, sort of more of a buccaneering nation, and the City of London was going to be at the heart of that. Yet the Boris Johnson administration was never interested in the City of London in any shape or form. I guess we should be maybe happy that at least this current government uh, is showing some interest. But nevertheless, I, the, the City of London is being playing defence. I don't see that this is going to put it into offence.
4: Correct. And in some senses, as I said, a lot of this going on, this stuff is going on in Europe, sort of anyway. Um, so it's, it's just, you know, the, the MiFID Two reforms were, were, were pretty heinous for the city. Uh, some of the stuff that which, you know, as I said, a lot of stuff wasn't adopted by Europe, really. And uh, they're unwinding what, uh, other stuff. It's just in some senses where you can almost argue we're getting closer. Um, but, in, you know, equally. It's all relatively sensible. Uh, the solvency stuff, two stuff, they've had to get a little bit busy with the regulator. Uh, I note the Bank of England is is proposing some other reforms, which are a little bit more gold plated and stricter than perhaps the government might've wanted. We'll see how that plays out. But none of this is happening immediately. It's all, a lot of this stuff is in consultation. It will probably happen over the course of next year, but you know, I suppose the only thing I could say is at least they're not doing any wild and rash, which is upsetting the regulators, obviously. And something that, you know, the next government, even when it may will be the Labour government in two years' time, would have unwound. So, in that sense, I suppose the city can sort of breathe that that, that, that it hasn't been uh, too revolutionary. If you speak to any, uh, you know, business manager in the city, all they want is continuity, not that the rules to be changed constantly, and, and to make things, you know, less less difficult. I suppose that just about ticks the box.
1: So, where, where does this all leave the City of London? It, it has... Lost out to continental peers as a result of Brexit. It's lost out to um, New York. What do you think? What do you think the future lo- looks like here?
4: Okay, so I'm going to try and breathe very carefully here. Um, some of the reporting uh, across the media of the city's demise is, is somehow sure not to be the case. Sure,
1: it's uh, it's not going to it's not going to go into the, it's not it's not kind of this isn't terminal decline, but but it's not it's the well. it okay. Could it you have know, been doing better? Up. Could it could it have been doing
4: better? Look, Silence. It, 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 not really. It's done pretty well in diversifying away from just relying on Europe. Europe has been a, a, a tricky market, which was it was over concentrated in London, which wasn't good for anyone's health. Um, I still think the main battle has been won, which the, the, the you know, European Commission has gone on about it this week. Actually, trying to get clearing house and derivatives clearing back into Europe. That is not yep. going to happen. But that she's still pulling and pushing Margaret Mcginness on that. It's it's never going to happen because it just simply doesn't work. Um, it's about time the city got a little bit more efficient and a little bit sort of what works for us, which is what these reforms are sort of all about. Just as it happens, as I keep on saying, Europe is doing the sort of same anyway. Um, that may mean it, it's easier to do business. In the day, you know, you want to be able to do business easily across continents, across all different yep. types of regimes. And that I suppose is what we've been help, holding ourselves back. And I, I perhaps at the margin this makes it more efficient. Could we have done better? I think we've done perfectly well over the last few years in the city. This there has and there ought to have been some natural uh, moving across to Europe to make everything more efficient. And then the day Europeans See, have been the wheel for the last two, two decades. Glad they're catching I up.
1: I, I don't think that I don't think the threat is Europe. The, the threat has always been New York. and, and in some ways you talk to people in New York. I talk to my colleagues. I talk to the friends that work in finance over there. I, they they see certainly New York have come, having become more preeminent as a result of, of the fact that the UK has been unfocused on financial services over the last few years.
4: I, I think it's become more preeminent because there's so much more business and so much larger growth in the economy and so much more strength all around the dollar. And, and US stock markets and the SPAC thing and in all the various yeah. other different tech led stuff, that I, I don't I think it's at the margin whether or not London has uh has done better or worse. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, where people get it wrong is they, they look at the fact that, that trades are booked perhaps possibly through Amsterdam or or the derivative stuff is booked sure, in, sure, a, sure. In, in, in in the US. It's meaningless. It's when the trade really happens. And as far as most uh, global derivatives are concerned, and foreign exchange and a raft of other different things. London is still the number one, and it's still where the money is made, the decisions are made, and the people are employed, and, you know, in that sense, um, you know, compared to the US economy, the the economy of Europe and the UK have have been completely subservient, and that sense, understandably, more money is going to be made and more emphasis, but the trouble with the the US uh, and and Wall Street, wherever it may be, is it's got more domestically focused, because there's no point you know, doing emerging market business so much. There isn't a less point in doing yep. so much Asia business, and likewise European business. So, I, I'm not sure it makes much difference.
1: I, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is actually, I, I, it's just been the it's been the lack of interest that has that are, that I think has been the most frustrating part of this. The last few governments have just not been interested in the City of London, and that's why, in some ways, actually, I'm taking today as a positive. At least there's some effort being made in in a, in a way that we simply haven't seen from any of the kind of the, the previous Tory governments over the last few years.
4: I, I, I hear you very much that you, you, you've you never had a more experienced. Uh, you know, he's got an MBA from Stanford and, and really exceptional city experience in a prime minister than Rishi Sunak. And that's starting to show. At the same time, you know, Jeremy Hunt is no slouch on that point. and And they're both focused on doing sensible things. It's a shame that Rishi himself didn't do a lot of this when he was chancellor. But yep. as you quite rightly said, perhaps the emphasis of the the you know of Boris was was a, in a different angle. Um yeah, it is about time, but you know, this is very gentle stuff. And we as long as we take the regulator and they need to change and adapt, but you clearly, as we saw in September, you can't force them or belittle them. Um then hopefully we will get a better approach. But we've got to have everyone working together. That's the what, industry, the what, regulator and the government.
1: What do you think was missing today?
4: Well, I think there could have been uh, a bit more emphasis on, you know, on properly unwinding MIFID II. Um, there could have been a bit more emphasis perhaps on, uh, on strengthening uh, and clarifying where the direction of travel for regulation really is. Because, you know, we've had various different spats. We've got uh, a, perhaps an overly strong FCA, which, you know, created a lot of the MIFID II reforms in the first place. Um, and I think they could do with a bit of a shakeup. We know the Prudential Regulatory Authority could do with a bit of shakeup. We've seen that with regards to the solvency II issues, uh, with regards yep. to, um, you know, insurance market and investing in infrastructure. Um, I mean, in some senses, there were a, a few missed opportunities, but really, you know, two years I, to run in this government, yep. they perhaps chose to just do what they could do without, without list, you know, again aggravating a whole, a whole horribleness.
1: Marcus, up next, we're going to talk about cars. This is Bloomberg.
0: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
2: China is the biggest car market in the world. In fact, if you look at the size of the Chinese market, it's actually bigger than if you put the United States and EU together. So what happens in China matters for the auto industry and of course matters for Mercedes-Benz. I can now see that uh, the central government is trying to put some some stimulus into that and, and see if they can restart the economy together with opening up. So glass half full. 23 could get maybe better.
1: Ola Halanus, he is the CEO of Mercedes Benz, uh, talking to the surveillance team a little bit earlier on. Just reinforcing the importance of the Chinese market to Mercedes-Benz and so many other car companies. Tesla, in many ways, in the EV market, was a trailblazer in China. Uh, It has a plant there uh, in Shanghai that has been hugely important to making inroads into that market. But there are slight wobbles now starting to appear in that strategy. We've now learned that Tesla will suspend output in stages. It's going to be staged over the next few weeks. At that Shanghai plant until the end of the month, um, we think that potentially this shutdown could last as long as uh, January. Now, uh, the, the big question here is whether or not this is just a kind of Chinese New Year opportunity holiday period to maybe fix the production line like these are these are kind of difficult beasts to, to, to wrangle uh, and often there are things that you want to do and work on uh, or is this actually a bigger demand story a slowdown story uh, that maybe has a bigger more long-term impact Craig Trudell Bloomberg uh, Global Newsar joins us now to talk about this Craig which one of those two do you think this is we're going to see this kind of stage shutdown in Shanghai for Tesla is this just regular kind of regular fixing of of bits of kit they need to work on uh, or is this something maybe a little bit more sinister Craig Trudell it does sound like as if Craig might not be there Marcus what do you make of what is happening in China
4: (laughs) Um, the great thing about about what's going on in China is we have absolutely no idea and this is this why I always struggle with People invest at loan, you know, big companies like Caterpillar who got burnt so horribly, you know, a decade ago and no one seems to really learn. But you know, for someone like for instance, Volkswagen who made you know multi multi 1000000000 commitments, and clearly Tesla in, in this instance here, they've they've got a, a very big commitment to China, which is in theory a fantastic trade because the burgeoning middle class will make all their dreams come true until issues like this arrive. And and I don't know as the honest answer. I mean it's it's quite clear there are some issues here in China and, you know, stopping production when, and as you quite rightly say, they've got a window to do uh, perhaps maintenance work or revamping of the, of the production line uh, later in January when it's, when it's the uh, golden week there. I mean, it's, sorry, the um, year celebrations that they've got um this coming right now, right with what's going on. It does make, you know, if people like with delay, you know, accounts for the year. It's always a bit suspicious,
1: isn't it? Absolutely. We found Craig Trudell. We could all breathe a little easier now. Craig Trudell, Bloomberg News Global Cars are um, joining us on this story. Craig, let's talk a little bit about what is happening. Marcus and I are just kicking around the idea that maybe actually this is just regular maintenance being performed on the, uh, the Tesla factory. It's been running at full steam for a really quite a long period of time. Maybe they're just taking the opportunity uh, to, to fix a few things. Or is this actually something a bit more serious? Maybe is, is this about demand?
2: Yeah, I you know, I, I think uh, the, the fact that they recently uh, did uh, some upgrades and, and equipment maintenance to the plant suggests to me that that this is more than, than just that. I think this is a matter of, of uh, you know, some problems that aren't necessarily, you know, Tesla-specific. Uh, we, we actually saw, you know, for the month of November, uh, sales industry-wide down 9.5% year-over-year. Uh, down ten and a half percent from October, so you know a, a real uh, you know hit to, to demand in in the month of November, and obviously we've seen some of these uh, you know sporadic uh, lockdowns and you know carry on in, into December. So you know some of the things that are that are hitting uh, Tesla are of course hitting other car makers, and I, th- I think there's also a real concern about you know a drop off uh, you know into the new year. Uh, until and unless we hear from from the government in China that they're going to extend some of the support that they've uh, extended to the electric vehicle industry, uh, there, there's a real you know uh, sort of question mark as to whether or not that will be extended. There is some speculation that maybe uh, you know we'll have a, another year of, of, of that uh, support, but right now you know the, the plan is for that to be, you know, pulled away in, in 2023. And as long as that's the case, there's reason to, to be concerned, uh, you know, going into the new year.
4: So Craig, I mean, you know, trying to separate away, it's probably not possible from the lockdowns. Is this, this is a, a drop off in demand, which is really very worrying. I mean, a 10% drop, whatever it was, is, is pretty, pretty large. I mean, I, you know, some of it could be delayed demand, you know, coming through uh, because of these lockdowns, or is this really actually, a sign of economic weakness that we really must be paying much more serious attention to.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's some, some uh, demand issues in China. I also wouldn't necessarily discount uh, demand issues elsewhere. And, and, you know, one other factor that hasn't necessarily gotten a ton of attention is the fact that this became such a important source of exports for Tesla, and including over here in, in Europe, right? So they, they were shipping quite a lot of, of uh, Model 3s. Uh, from from the Shanghai plant to Europe, uh, you know they've ramped up uh, production in Germany. Uh, the you know so the need to source Model Ys from that factory uh, is not what it was before. So that's another factor to consider here. This is not just a plant just for the domestic market. It really became you know more than that uh, over the last uh, year plus. So. Uh, you know, th- this is a-, a case where, you know, it was a, a factory that, you know, underwent some-, some recent work to really boost production quite a bit. And, you know, the the sort of expectation that, uh, you know, strong yeah. demand and long wait list was going to last forever, you know, clearly has not panned out. We've seen, you know, the the wait times for a Tesla drop dramatically over the last, you know, I would say four or five months.
1: I've got 30 seconds left. Craig, how, s- how price sensitive I- I- is the market here? If we see, like other car companies, prices coming down rapidly, is that going to stimulate demand?
2: I think that's a really good question, actually, because I think Tesla, you know, does have very, quite strong pricing. So there is room to bring that down and stimulate demand. And there may be quite a bit more demand if, if they do come down some more.
1: Worth the wait. Craig, always a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Bluebox Craig Trudell on what is happening with Tesla out in Shanghai. Up next, we're going to talk more about what is happening next week. Big week for central banks. We're going to kick it off with the Bank of England. This is Bloomberg.
2: This
0: is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good evening. Welcome. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Guy Johnson in London. Alongside this evening, Marcus Ashworth of Bloomberg Opinion. Alex Steele uh, has the day off. Let's talk about where we are with the price action right now. Um, This is The Cable, so let's start there. The pound having a relatively good day today, certainly against the US dollar, 122.87. A little earlier, uh, we had a little look north of uh, 123. Uh, I was talking to Derek Halpany of MUFG a little bit earlier on, suggesting maybe what we now see, though, uh, with a uh, a difficult winter ahead for the UK is a drift down towards kind of the 115 level. Uh, In terms of the equity markets, uh, we saw the FTSE 100 today closing fairly flat, 74.76. We have seen oil stocks under a little bit of pressure today. Uh, But over in the United States right now, we've got a fairly flat session underway. Uh, The S&P is up by one tenth of one percent. The Nasdaq's up by around three tenths of one percent. Everybody's really kind of looking forward into next week, trying to figure out what the big moves are going to be. We've got a whole series of central banks. We'll talk about those next. Um, They're going to be meeting. Plus, we've got a whole load of inflation data as well uh, to factor into the equation. So that's what we're going to do over the next 30 minutes. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, and try and set you up for uh, some of those meetings that are going to take place. It's the last real big week of the year. Uh, are we about to go out with a bang? Well, let's, uh, let's figure out what's happening right now with Charlie Pellet.
5: What's going on? Let us begin with that difficult winter ahead that you were alluding to, Guy. The UK's Met Office has issued a warning for snow and ice in southeast England and London beginning Sunday morning. As much as 10 centimeters of snow may accumulate in some places, potentially causing travel delays and power cuts. The cold snap and low wind speeds are testing Europe's winter resilience as costly energy rattles the economy and drives up inflation. Santander, UK, has been fined 100 million pounds by the financial watchdog, the UK financial watchdog, over repeated anti-money laundering failures that included a series of missteps over its monitoring of hundreds of millions of pounds of suspicious funds. The bank, according to the Financial Conduct Authority, said the bank had serious and persistent gaps in its oversight of business customers over a five-year period through 2017. ITV's broadcast of England's World Cup quarterfinal against France, Tomorrow is a golden opportunity for Britain's largest free-to-air TV network and could mark one of the largest sporting events in recent years. It is the last big match in the tournament to which London-based ITV has exclusive rights to. The company shares UK rights to FIFA Qatar 2022 with the BBC, but the BBC does have the first pick of the semi-finals and has ad-free offerings that historically have attracted larger audiences for international football finals that is the latest from the news desk guy johnson back to you now in london
1: charlie Pelle, thank you very much indeed i'd like to point out as well thank you very much indeed charlie i'd like to point out that currently it is now 1-1 croatia versus brazil um extra time 28 minutes the croatians score uh, after the brazilians went ahead in extra time is this one heading for penalties? Are we about to see a potential surprise? Brazil, the firm favourites right now, um, but maybe struggling a little bit uh, against Croatia. Anyway, I will keep you updated. In, with what is happening there. Um, quick uh, conversation uh, about these central banks, I think, is is now justified. Next week is a kind of huge week. Uh, we've got the Bank of England, we've got the ECB, the European Central Bank, and, of course, the Federal Reserve uh, all out with decisions. There's a whole load of other meetings as well. The Norge Bank, for instance, the SNB uh, both have decisions uh, that they need to be making as well. But let's start at home. Let's start with the Bank of England and talk more about what we could get from Governor Bailey and co. Marcus... It appears as if the central kind of expectation is that we get a fifty basis point hike, a half a basis, a half a uh, percent hike from the Bank of England. But nobody's quite prepared to rule out twenty five, and nobody's quite prepared to rule out seventy five either.
4: Well, the reason is is that we might get a four, and even possibly five way split amongst the uh, uh, nine members. Um, from what we know, uh, starting on the dovish side. Um, Sylvia Tenreiro uh, was voted only for 25 last time. She may even vote for no change. Uh, then the newest member Swati Dingra, uh, was also, you know, perhaps uh, on the dovish side. We expect her possibly to only vote for 25. Uh, the bulk, however big that bulk may be, will probably vote for 50. And then you could well have um, a couple of the hawkish ones uh, voting for 75 still. You know, uh, I watched Randon speak the other day. And though he did throw in a little you know, vignette that maybe if inflation came down, they could cut rates at some point. I, I don't think that was on his front and center agenda. I think he's still very much wanting to keep on hiking quite hard. So the question is, to uh, the bulk of the um, you know, swing it to 50, I think the way that divide is, it's almost certainly will settle at 50, and that's why. The, the thing is, is that can you have a hawkish hike when it's 50 basis points, but I suppose you can, in the sense that it's not 75, but how much, how aggressive they say they're going to carry on hiking, is really what people are looking for. It's that forward guidance which they don't really give us any more, but they, in essence they are going to have to a bit. It's whether or not this is 50 and there might be one more 25, and that's the done, them done, which is sort of where I expect uh, Bank of England rates to settle out about 3.75 from the current 3%. Or they're going to say, no, we, you're, we're going to give you 50, but the next time, you know, probably give you another 50 and we might do a, another one. And that would be hawkish. And that, I think, is where the risk start to bond
1: prices. The, the reason the reason potentially for that more hawkish tilt would be what is happening in the labor market. The, the demand story looks like it it is softening up. But this is a labor market that I think is incredibly tight and likely to remain incredibly tight. There's a number of factors uh, kind of behind this, uh, what is happening with people leaving the labour market, the lack of immigration that the UK is experiencing at the moment, um, etc, etc. How concerned do you think the Bank of England is going to have to be that it's going to have to continue to kind of lean on that, that that basically this is an economy, given where the labour market is, that needs to run significantly slower? Well,
4: this is the the divergence, I think, between as I mentioned, Ramsden, who's uh, definitely governor, he would normally expect to be in the pack and and, and backing very much what Andrew Bailey. Andrew Bailey is giving you know vibes of like let's not overdo it here. We've got a recession coming. Yep. You know, obviously full employment means that the recession is unlikely to be very deep at the moment. But nonetheless, um, you know, Ramsden is much more concerned about uh, ongoing uh, shortages in labour and and therefore ongoing inflation. And I think that's the problem here, is that we've seen. Uh, four diff- lower uh, now prints in, in in U.S. inflation. Uh, we have yet to see one you know, clearly coming through in the UK. Uh, we did see one in Europe. Um, we do have our own slight difficulties with the way our energy pricing works here. But you know, we would really like to see a lower CPI number, um, and then from then we can see yep. we're probably like the rest of the world. We, we're sort of peaked out. But that that's the reason why we're going to do fifty, not seventy-five, probably. What about the housing the reason- market?
1: Could I, could I just uh, we I got think, a minute left. What do you think about think uh, the housing market data starting to drop fairly precipitously?
4: Uh, just it just drives me mad. This, you know, what do you expect after the last two months no. of, of shenanigans with the government? It's just catch up. The key issue is we closed early for Christmas. Applications have dropped, as you'd expect. Approvals are still strong. Look at the current mortgage rates, which are super aggressive compared to where the bank rate is banks are wanting to lend again. Let's wait for the spring. Uh, I think by surprise things will will, will recover substantially. We are going to get some froth off the top. The year on year rate is going to go slightly negative. That's just the way the basis effect works. Will we have an actual house price slump in this country like everyone seems to think with? I don't think so.
1: Okay. Marcus has some experience of house price slumps. Always makes him very, very nervous. Um, Can I just say, full time, Croatia won, Brazil won. Croatia surprising this 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 could be interesting considering just how well their goalkeeper has been playing as we head towards penalties um I will keep you updated ECBs next this is Bloomberg
0: this is the cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio
1: one central bank down two to go Let's talk a little bit about the ECB and what we should expect from the European Central Bank next week. Again, the expectation is that we are going to see a 50 basis point hike uh, from Christine Lagarde and co. Uh, One of the questions is whether or not we're going to see a firm date for the start of quantitative tightening, i.e. the running off of the balance sheet. Uh, Remember, the Bank of England has already started that uh, and the Fed has already started that. Are we about to see something similar from the ECB. Joining us now to discuss, David Powell, Senior Euro Area Economist for Bloomberg Economics. David, what is the central case? What are we expecting from the ECB next week?
0: Well, the 50 basis point hike is basically a done deal. The financial markets are not even pricing in much chance of a larger move. Um, and that's because there seems to be broad consensus. The hawks on the governing council even seem to be okay with 50 basis points. No one's really calling for 75 basis points, um, except maybe one, one, one or two people. Um, and so uh, that seems like a done deal. The real debate is going to be around quantitative Uh, tightening. We already know from what Christine Lagarde has told us most recently in testimony before the European Parliament that they're going to release broad principles of quantitative tightening in December. We don't we don't know which details exactly they will release. But I think what the markets going to be focusing on is two things. One is timing. When exactly will it start? There doesn't seem to be consensus around that, with the hawks saying the beginning of the year. Uh, we had the uh, central bank governor from Ireland on Bloomberg TV this week, and he said he favors the end of Q1, start of Q2. Um, and then there's also the exact amount that they're going to do. Um, perhaps the, the easiest thing for them to do would just be to allow the bonds that are maturing from the asset purchase program to completely run off. And we know from the uh, data they published, that's about 60 billion euros a month on average for the next 12 months.
4: I don't think, uh, David, will get 60 billion. Let's say it starts April 1st. Uh, we might get, as the Fed did, and, and probably so sensibly say 20, then a will lift up to 40, then a will lift up to 60. That's, I guess that's how they'll do it. Um, but one quick thing, other than that, is uh, the Teltros, these targeted uh, longer-term refinancing operations. We saw um, another, you know, payback uh, from the banks, commercial banks, back to the European Central Bank today. It brings to about eight hundred billion so far. They've collapsed. How does of that, you know, drop in the balance sheet uh, at the same time as they're contemplating QT? How does that all work together? Is that an issue, or do you think, for where you're saying the ECB's are on top of this and they're allowing it steadily to, you know, balance off against each other?
0: Well, both of these activities—the uh, the rolling off of bonds, um, as well as the returning of cash borrowed to the ultras, they do the same thing. They reduce liquidity in the economy. They reduce the monetary base to fund both of those. The ECB printed money, and as that money goes back to the ECB, there's less liquidity. Um, so uh, they, they they accomplish similar things. The today's announcement showed that about one-fourth of the outstanding balance going into today's announcement is going to be repaid. That's a large number. That may allow the the, the doves to say, we don't need to be as aggressive as we may have been if that number had yeah. been smaller in terms of the rolling off of, of bonds. Um, so we'll uh, we'll see that. But I, I think we have to remember, too, the bond program is much larger than TLTROs. Going into today's uh, announcement, the outstanding balance was only about 21% of the ECB's balance sheet. So really, the big game is is still the bond portfolios on the balance sheet.
1: Final quick question, got about a minute left. We have seen thus far in this tightening cycle very little stress in the BTP market. We're about to add potentially QT to the process as well. Is that where we should look potentially for risks as this process unfolds?
0: Um, It is. And not only do we have those things, we also have the uh, huge funding needs of European governments at the start of the year who have uh, announced a lot of support programs to cap energy prices. Um, and those those are going to cost several hundred billion euros to fund. So this winter, they're going to have large funding needs. And maybe that is a reason the ECB will wait to the end of the quarter, or as Marcus suggested, go for a smaller amount at the start, at least until we get through the winter.
1: Great stuff, David. As ever, thank you very much indeed. We'll look forward to the coverage next week. Uh, Bloomberg's David Powell uh, on the ECB. Uh, and then we turn to the United States next week uh, we have inflation data as we have here uh, out of the US that could be huge we've also got the Fed Wednesday that could be huge Mike McKee joins us next this is Bloomberg
3: This
0: is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio
1: Good evening welcome back you're listening to The Cable um, quick comment on the football bit of a shocker Croatia have just knocked Brazil, one of the firm favourites for winning this competition, out. Croatia four, Brazil two in penalties. They missed two or there were two saved. One saved, one hit the post. Um, Amazing. This competition keeps throwing up surprises uh, and some of the big giants of global football are increasingly going home. Germany out. Uh, we've seen Spain out, now Brazil is out, absolutely amazing, Uh, and this is going to throw up a really interesting side to that uh, side of the tournament uh, as we go into this weekend, Uh, Croatia into the semi-finals. Anyway, I digress. Seems to be France out. Sorry? Seems to be France out. Well, we'll see. Well, that would would make life even more interesting, wouldn't it? Um, Let's talk about Uh, what comes... Mark, I, I didn't have you down as a football fan. Soccer ball,
4: I'm not, but
1: uh, (laughs) this this has got nothing to do with football. No, it doesn't. It's about national pride. The Brazilians are not going to be feeling good about themselves right now. Anyway, Mike McKee is sitting patiently waiting to talk to us about the the Federal Reserve and CPI. Mike, um, the two big events, Tuesday CPI, Wednesday the Federal Reserve. Um, I was talking to one of our guests on Bloomberg Television a little bit earlier on um, from MUFD, Derek Halpern, and he was saying... If you get a if you get a soft CPI number inflation number on Tuesday and then a hawkish sounding Fed on the Thursday the market will ignore the hawkish sounding Fed and focus instead on the data is the data more important than the central bank next week
3: um i don't think so i i think um and the reason being is the CPI comes first so Jay Powell will have an opportunity in his news conference to steer the um, analysis of the CPI and, uh, I don't think the CPI is going to change what the Fed thinks it's going to do. And the Fed is uh, planning on moving higher. new survey of economists by Bloomberg today uh, shows that uh, basically Wall Street is now on board with 5% as a terminal rate. And uh, the Wall Street economists are also on board with the idea of leaving it there for a year. So if you get a marginal increase in CPI, uh, the the general consensus I think is that it, it's it has peaked, so uh, I don't think it really affects people as much. Maybe you get a huge upside surprise, but I, I don't think it has a, as much influence as Powell could have.
4: Mike, it just seems to me I mean looking at two charts. One's just simply the price of the price of oil, which is despite everyone talking oil to going to the moon and this and that is it's at the low of the year and and falling fast. At the same time, you look at uh, CPI and PPI in China, and it's it's just plummeting. So the the market in the US, when you've got you know 10-year uh, bond yields at, at three and a half, give or take, is just looking. It seems through the Fed, past whatever Powell says, and ignoring him. Um, You know who's going to win this battle? Is it is is the Fed? You know just going to keep on at it, uh, applying payments? And at this rate, I I can't even see. uh, as as realistic, certainly not for a year, keeping that for a year to my mind mind, is for the birds.
3: Well, I'll tell you what I think about this is that the Fed is determined to bring down inflation and and won't back off. Uh, That doesn't mean they couldn't change their mind if there was some sort of uh, exogenous event that really sent the US economy spiraling down. But the fact that it may affect other countries isn't going to really uh, bother them. I think that they aren't uh, that th- they're they're saying they're going to keep the rate uh, unchanged throughout two thousand twenty three. I don't think they necessarily anticipate they will have to do that. They think inflation is going to go down as uh, as most economists do and go down fairly quickly. So it is possible by the end of the year that the the, the inflation dynamic changes. However, we've seen with the markets, um, they want to grab onto any sign of dovishness that they can. And so (laughs) there's nothing in it for the Fed to say, well, probably June, July, we'll rethink this. Uh, It it works best for them to just leave it as a year-long thing.
1: Isn't monetary policy for the U.S. economy already being eased? As Marcus says, oil prices are down. Mortgage rates are are falling. Um, you have um, uh, gas prices are coming down. I mentioned that on the oil side, but but kind of gas prices are coming down as well. Uh, you, you've got a whole sort of series of events. The bond market is is coming lower. Equity markets are looking a little rose. I, all of these things point to a, a an easing of financial conditions in the United States. Is, is the Fed comfortable
3: with that? They don't want the financial conditions to ease a whole lot more. They know that they will uh, to a certain extent when you get reasonably good news on uh, economic variables. Um, nobody can predict what's going to happen with oil, uh, but for right now the news is good. Um, and so the Fed is going to look at it as, uh, you know, we're going to stay on our path and adjust our path as we feel necessary. Um, they, it, obviously, they could start talking more hawkishly, and it, it may be that Jay Powell does because we've seen this uh, this decrease in financial conditions. But if uh, if it just stays kind of about where it is, I think they won't worry about it too much. I, I
4: have to say that. Biden's decision to open the strategic petroleum reserve just seemed rather geniusly timed. Uh, uh, obviously, it was convenient before the midterms, but you know, as far as calling the old market is concerned, it's better to be lucky than clever. I, I feel a bit sorry for Jake Powell the other way around in the sense that you know whatever he says, he clearly wants to keep uh, the pressure on the stock market and and the, he wants bond yields, should we say, to be at least fifty basis points higher, and and the stock market not to have gone up. And it, it, neither seems to be listened to him. And, and I wonder—it's—it's it's sort of just—I know shouting in the wind whether or not he's going to lose the credibility. But yep. I, I agree in some sense. he's got to keep it up. He's got to keep the hawkish rhetoric going.
3: Well, he keeps—he he keeps credibility if he—if they stay on the path. Uh, what the what the market's going to look for is any kind of wobble. And, and we've seen this every time he comes out and speaks. Every time the Fed has a meeting, um, it's read it the way you want to read it. Is the, <laughs> it, you yeah. know is the way it works out.
1: Mike, great stuff. Always a pleasure. Looking forward to the coverage next week. Busy, busy week coming up next week. Um, Mike McKean, thank you. Uh, Marcus Ashworth, thank you. Have a great weekend. Uh, we'll see how the football goes. But Croatia go to the semi finals. That's the big news of the last few minutes. This is Bloomberg.